Please take God's word and find Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. Our Lord, our God, our Savior, Jesus Christ, has something very important and serious to say to you through my mouth this morning. And so I pray as you have sung these songs and we have heard the scripture read, we have prayed, I pray that your heart now is ready to receive a heavy message from the word of truth. Let's begin by reading Mark 7, verses 14 to 23. Mark 7, verses 14 to 23. The title of the message this morning is Man's Greatest Problem. Mark 7, verse 14. After he, Jesus, called the crowd to him again, he began saying to them, Listen to me, all of you. And understand, there is nothing outside the man which can defile him, if it goes into him. But the things which proceed out of man are what defile the man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. When he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples questioned him about the parable. And he said to them, Are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach and is eliminated. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he was saying that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For from within... Out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. This is God's inspired, inerrant word. May God bless the preaching of his word this morning. How many of you have ever been diagnosed with an illness? Serious or typical, right? Most of us have been to the doctor's office and you say, Doc, I'm hurting or there's something growing on me or whatever. What's going on? Can you help me out? And the doc looks at you looks at the symptoms, listens to what you have to say, and he makes a diagnosis, right? All of you know that I've gone through something like that recently. I had a swelling on my lower neck that wasn't going away. I went to the doc's office. He said, based on what you've told me, based on what I've seen, this is what you probably have. But I didn't get the certain objective diagnosis until I went under the knife, they cut something out of me, they examined it, and then they came back and said, Heitman, this is what you have. This is what the Lord Jesus Christ does to our soul in this passage. In his farewell sermon, in his Galilean ministry, Jesus Christ opens up and dissects the human soul. And he gives us, each and every single one of us, a spiritual diagnosis. 
then he reveals to us the symptoms that support that diagnosis. Therein lies our greatest problem. The diagnosis is not good. It's sad. It's shocking. But it's true. Man's greatest problem is not anything on the outside. It's not his influences. It's not the bad company he or she may keep. It's not the culture he or she grew up in. It's not anything social. It's nothing physical. Man's greatest problem is this. Are you ready? His heart is corrupt. His heart is wicked. His heart is depraved. His heart is sick. From birth. This is clear. When scripture talks about the human heart, it's used in a metaphorical way, right? The human heart can be defined in this way. It is the control center of your personality. The human heart is your inner soul. It's your seat of emotions. The seat of your motives and attitudes. It's the center of your thinking. It's the base of your emotions. It's the intentions of your will. It's your desires. Your heart, listen, is what makes you, you. Your heart is the totality of who you are before God. And by the way, there is no dichotomy between the heart and the mind, contrary to some secular doctrine. The Lord Jesus Christ said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He's not saying that part of us uh, is heart and part of us is mind and part of us is soul. No. Jesus is saying in that text that you are to love the Lord your God with every fiber of your being. We are made of soul, heart, mind, and body. Heart, soul, mind, they're synonyms. You cannot divorce your mind from your heart and vice versa. Who you are is who you are in your heart. And what we see here in this text is that apart from regeneration, apart from the sovereign work of God in your life, changing you, transforming you, all of us sitting here today have wicked hearts. That's the Lord Jesus Christ's diagnosis of our soul. Let's look at this diagnosis more clearly in verses 14 and 21. This paragraph, this passage, picks up where we left off last week, where Jesus, as you remember from last week, if you were here, Jesus indicts the Pharisees for what? For elevating human tradition above the word of God. So here Jesus picks up with the discussion he just had. It's been one week since we've seen this, but it's been minutes since Jesus had this discussion with the Pharisees. He turns to his people and he commands them to listen, to to hear a hard truth that seems to us perhaps somewhat random. But again, if you take it in context, it's anything but random. In verse 5, 
the religious fakers ask Jesus, why do your disciples not walk according to the traditions of the elders, but eat bread with impure hands? In other words, they were asking Jesus, why do your disciples not follow our rules? You see, that tradition stated that if, if, if you were to put something in your mouth that was ceremonially unclean, your body would be spiritually contaminated. It would be defiled. Your soul would be polluted. But again, and I'll admit this is a hobby horse of mine at this point in my life, the Lord does not give these ridiculous religious men any room for discussion. Jesus does not have the attitude, hey, let's come together and understand one another. Let's, let me hear your side. Let me hear your interpretation. No. Jesus goes straight to the jugular every time he deals with these Pharisees. He dismisses their treasonous, heretical doctrine over and over again. He picks up where he left off, where he left off, and he does not let off at the gas pedal. It's full pedal to the metal here in this statement. He is continuing his indictment and his rebuke of the Pharisees in this passage. He continues to indict them by turning to the people and seizing the moment for a teaching opportunity, like the wonderful master teacher Jesus Christ is. He is always looking for an opportunity to teach his sheep. So look at verse 15 more closely. It says, There is nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him, but the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. Notice in this passage, Jesus makes that statement four times. Proceed out of the man. And as you've heard, perhaps from Aaron and I, when, when Jesus repeats something, he wants us to listen, right? If you're saying something to your friend or to your child or to your wife and you keep repeating yourself, it, it's kind of important to you. This phrase, proceed out of man, it's here in verse 15, verse 20 and 21, and once more in 23. And I don't think this morning I need to spend too much time on the exegesis of this passage, do I? I don't need to spend too much time explaining the grammar, the theology behind it. You know it. It's clear. The main point is clear, is it not? Jesus, again, he's saying the polar opposite of what the Pharisees taught. And you know what the, the Pharisees' response was? Again, this is the Jesus of the Bible. Matthew adds in chapter 15, verse 12, the disciples said to Jesus, hey, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement, the Pharisees were offended. And I don't want to go on this rabbit trail, but I want to remind you that truth does offend people. We don't want our personality to offend people, but the truth offends religious hypocrites. And if you've never offended anybody with your evangelism, then you're probably leaving something out. Jesus Christ in this passage, he is saying that all men, women, and children do not become sinful by anything external. 
Jesus is saying that the defilement, listen, is already there. The world does not put defilement into you. You already possess it. This is the great physician's universal diagnosis for mankind. One commentator said that the corruption of the human heart is a universal disease. We are all sinners not because we sinned at one point. We sin because we're sinners. Again, that repetitive word proceed. Used four times in this passage. They all have the same meaning. It means to go out forth from, to proceed out of, to go out. I think most translations render it that way, correct? Except for the message. How does the message render this? It's always funny when when all mainline translations agree, I like to check what the message says because they always have something kind of kooky. It says, listen to what the message says. It says, it's not what you swallow that pollutes your life. Okay, that's pretty close. It's what you vomit. Vomit. Now that paints a vivid picture, but the word, the Greek word for vomit is nowhere to be found in that passage, but they want you to get the strength of the passage. Again, just to be clear, then I'll move on. Jesus is saying here in this text that what comes out of your mouth, what thoughts you meditate on, the deeds you do in private and in public, are a result of what's inside of you. What's inside of you and me is a depraved, wicked, evil, sinful, rebellious heart. For example, we see this doctrine, this truth, and little children every day, don't we? For those of you that are teachers, have worked around children, those of you who have little children, your daddy and mommy did not have to teach you how to lie, did they? You guys already know how to do that. Your mommy and daddy did not have to teach you to become self-centered. Your mommy and daddy did not have to teach you how to throw a temper tantrum. You already have that in your heart. It's there. And it, and it didn't get there by anything external. That's man's greatest problem. Verse 17. When he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples questioned him about the parable. In other words, we again see how the disciples are slow to learn. They're slow learners. They're hard. They're dull. They think Jesus is giving them a riddle. But he's not. Verse 18, he said to them, are you so lacking understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him? So he's repeating himself again here. But he adds further elaboration. Verse 19, because it goes, because it does not go into the heart, but into his stomach and is eliminated. Thus he declared all foods clean. So you'll notice if you have an NASB, 
that verse 16 is in brackets. And uh, if you do not have an NASB, you probably don't even have verse 16 16 in your Bible, right? How many of you were noticing why I'm missing verse 16? (laughs) Well, it's because that verse is not in the earliest, most reliable manuscript. So most mainline translations leave it out. And other places in Scripture, Jesus does say this, doesn't he? He who has an ear, let him hear. That is in the original and other passages. But I I bring that kind of nerdy stuff out to let you know that in verse 19, what you see is parentheses. Those are not brackets. In other words, that is in the inspired original manuscripts. Mark went back after this and made that parenthetical statement. Why? Because the context, right? The Pharisees are majoring on a traditional rule. And Jesus is saying here, hey, it doesn't matter if you eat with washed hands, unwashed hands. It doesn't matter if you eat foods that are unclean or clean. It doesn't matter. Jesus is getting at the heart. The external things are worthless if your heart is not right. Verse 20. Again, there's that phrase. That which proceeds out of man is what defiles the man. Jesus wants us to understand the importance of the inner person, right? We all know this verse. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. God is always, since creation, until now, to the end of time, concerned about your inner being. Sacraments, rituals, church attendance, charity, It doesn't matter if our heart is not right before the Lord. Verse 21. He says, for from within, Jesus says, for from within. That's down in the depths of who you are inside. For for from within, out of the heart of men. Circle that word men. Draw your attention to that word men. You know what that word means? It means everyone. All of us. Out of you. Out of me. Out of my children. Out of everyone I know. Your heart is like a fountain continuously, 24-7, burst forth water. It was John Calvin that said, our heart is a factory of idols. Continuously producing idols, sin, unrighteousness. That's our diagnosis, brothers and sisters. For some of you, this isn't new. For some of you, you have not heard this in a long time, or maybe ever but you'll see why it's so important for us to get this down and to be reminded of this you'll see why in the conclusion so our diagnosis is what our heart is wicked now what are the symptoms that reveal this diagnosis they are in verses 21 to 23 there are 13 of them 13 symptoms 
of a radically depraved, wicked heart. The first one is evil thoughts. This is the overarching symptom here. They could actually, uh, every, everyone after evil thoughts can, in a sense, be subordinated under this one. It's kind of like in 1 Timothy 3, where Paul lists the qualifications of elders. He says, an elder must be above reproach, and then Paul lists really what that looks like. So all of these symptoms begin in the mind. Then we act them out. So these evil thoughts, these are, these are referring to the person's inward reasoning. His thinking. Our minds. Dwell on within our hearts. Genesis 6, verse 5. You know that one? It's not the most encouraging verse in the world. But it undergirds this doctrine. Before the flood, Yahweh revealed to us why he flooded the earth. In Genesis 6, verse 5, it says explicitly that the thoughts and intentions of the heart of man was only evil once in a while, continually. Only evil. Now, I don't like to do this often, but I want to ask you to turn to Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2. I won't spend this much time on the other ones, I promise. Ephesians 2. You need to see this so you don't think I'm making this up, but also so that you really see how prevalent and foundational these, the, the, this doctrine of total depravity really is. Ephesians 2. I want you to see this. Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 3. Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 3. Paul says, to the believers in Ephesus. So this applies to believers. Paul says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you, plural, all of you, formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. That just means unbelievers. Now, I remember the first time I read this, Ephesians 2, verse 3. I remember the first time I read this. I was at a little cabin in Kodiak, Alaska, with my little brand new MacArthur Study Bible. I read this verse for the first time, and I was crushed. Among them, we too all. Not a few of us. Not the really bad sinners. All. All of us formerly lived in the lust of the flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind. We were by nature children of what? Firstly, this text humbles us, doesn't it? It, it reminds us that, that at, the, at the foot of the cross, the ground is level. The most vile, the most enslaved, 
the worst criminal in the world, is no worse than you and I before God. We, too, all formerly lived in the lust of the flesh. We all were born into this world, not as children of God, but as children of Satan. That's us. Apart from the regenerative power of the Holy Spirit. So let's look at these... 12, with the time I have left, I'll go through them fairly expediently. Some of these are going to make you uncomfortable. I'll try to keep it PG, but it's in the Bible, and we've got to deal with it, right? Fornications. It's the Greek word porneia, from which we get the English word pornography. It's derived from a word that simply means sexual sin. It refers to all unlawful sexual activity. All. Now answer this question. Why do men and women engage in porneia? Not a trick question. It's because their heart's wicked. Number three. Thefts. Thefts, the, the verb form is klepto, from which we get the English word kleptomaniac. A kleptomaniac, kids, if you don't know, is just somebody that is a thief, and he steals all the time. Thievery is taking something that's not yours without permission. Why, brothers and sisters, do people commit thievery? Because their heart is wicked you getting a pattern now four murders this is the the illicit unlawful taking of a person's life keyword unlawful this must be distinguished from killing it's not wrong to kill in a certain context soldiers are commissioned by the government to serve as a sword to inflict justice on those who do evil when a soldier kills in combat, he can have a clean conscience. When a police officer shoots a man in the act of a violent crime, that police officer can have a clean conscience, knowing that he is acting as an avenger of the government to bring justice on those who do evil. Romans 13. Why do people all over the world, since Cain and Abel, commit murder? Because the human heart is wicked. Fifth is adulteries. Adultery, simply put, as you know, I won't go too deep into this one. It's just a violation of the marriage covenant to be distinguished from porneia. Having solely to do with breaking your marriage vows sexually. Why do people commit adultery? Because their heart is Thank you. See, I'm trying to be engaging with you. Six is deeds of coveting. Deeds of coveting. This, this is a reference to the desires and behaviors motivated by greed. Deeds of coveting. It's the insatiable craving for something that belongs to someone else. And you must 
have it to be content. Usually my routine every morning is to scroll through the news. And as I've said before, if you follow me on Facebook, which if you don't, I don't blame you. I put, I put on my Facebook page recently that, that I, I scroll through the news every morning. I'll spend a lot of time on it or else it will just make me go insane. But um, you know, it just reminds me of, of, of how much people need Jesus, right? It's a reminder for us, these people are just off their rocker and they just need the gospel. This one I read recently was about this young bride in her early 30s, late 20s. She was engaged to this man, and they agreed that they were going to have this lavish, foreign, eye-popping wedding, 60 Gs. And uh, she, she thought that it was reasonable to go ahead and um, ask people that she wanted to invite to contribute $1,500 to this wedding. <laughs> you, can, you can Google it. And, um, and, and she was just shocked that she only got a few checks back in the mail. Uh, as the time drew near to this wedding that they were going to spend $60,000 on, her maid of honor and her husband was like, hey, you know what, maybe we should just kind of go within our budget. Shocking suggestion, right? This lady flew off the handle. She, she wrote this long tirade on social media. It contained profanity. It contained all kinds of hate speech. She was livid. And if you, yes, I'll admit, I read the whole thing. Because I was so, so why, somebody would just dismiss their friends and family because of, of a wedding. But anyway, so I read the whole thing. And you know why? She felt entitled to this lavish wedding. You've read this? It's because she wanted to live like a Kardashian for a day. If you don't know the Kardashians, you're blessed. But they, but they are this, this really filthy, rich, self-entitled, spoiled family. They're the 1% of the 1%. They're filthy rich. And... And, 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 and by watching this reality show of the Kardashians, she coveted their lifestyle to the degree that she had the audacity to ask her friends and family for $60,000 just so she could live like a Kardashian for a day. Now, that, that, that is, that is a, a not uncommon example of a wicked heart revealing the symptom of deeds of coveting. nuts, isn't it? Why does she, why would we, why would anybody have deeds of coveting? Because the heart is number seven, wickedness. It's in the plural form, wickednesses, wickednesses. It's a reference to iniquity that's encompassed by everything that violates God's word. In other words, it's all sin. Number eight, as well as deceit. Now, this is interesting for those of you who are hunters or want to be hunters. This is a hunting term. It's used to describe luring an animal to trap. 
like, like, like uh, baiting a fish hook to lure the fish. Those poor fish, once they bite down on that food they think they're going to eat, it's the end, right? Those fish are deceived. They're lured by bait. That's what a deceiver is. He uses crafty speech, deceptive words to lure somebody into that which is not reality. Deceit. children and adults adults don't any get any much better do they why do we practice deceit because the human heart is number 10 envy literally rendered as evil eye the compound word in the greek evil eye jesus used it to describe eyes full of Jealousy. Jealousy. Why are people envious? Because the human heart is wicked. Eleven, slander. Interestingly enough, in the original, it's blasphemia. What's that word sound like? Blasphemy. You know, you could blaspheme men. It does not just apply to God. Blaspheme. It's any defaming speech, very similar to slander. Well, it is slander. It uh, refers to abusive speech, deceptive speech, motivated by a desire to tear down. Why do people slander each other? Because our heart is wicked. Thirteen. Excuse me. Twelve. Almost done for the list. Twelve is pride. Pride. You know what pride is. We all have pride. In fact, I would argue that that the the the, the source of all sin is pride, right? Because sin is rebellion towards God, and we rebel against God. We just want to do our own thing. We think that we are above God's law when we sin. That's all pride is. Pride is simply to show yourself superior. To be arrogant, to be self-promoting, to show yourself above others. Pride, which we all have to some degree, and we will until glory. Where does that come from? Yes, thank you. We are prideful because our heart is wicked. Lastly, 13, foolishness. This is a general term used to describe moral folly, moral senselessness. A fool is one who lives free from any sense of responsibility. Now, what does Scripture, or whom does Scripture refer to as a fool? You guys know it. The unbeliever. The atheist. The non-believer in God. The scripture calls them fools, right? Now, I'm not saying that we should use that as an evangelistic strategy. (laughs) We shouldn't go around calling people fools, even though the scripture says they are. That's just for your own information. 
So, fools. I could say much more about that. There are a million things going through my mind right now. A million examples of fools, but I won't go there. Why are people fools? Say it with conviction. People are fools because the human heart is... Verse 23, Jesus says at the end of this list of symptoms, all these things proceed, there's that word again, go forth out of, from within, and defile the man. Brothers and sisters, if I sound repetitive today, it's because Jesus is in this text. These things, these list of 13 things and more, it's not, it's not exhaustive, right? You could go to Galatians 5 and you could read um, Fruits of the Flesh that would rightly augment this list. So this list is not meant to be exhaustive. These are just the most common ones that come out of our hearts. These 13 sins, these 13 symptoms of a wicked heart, they are in every single one of us here. Now you say, Heitman, I've never killed anybody. And I would believe you. That's good that you haven't killed anybody. But you have in your heart, haven't you? Did not Jesus say that to be angry with your brother is to commit murder in your heart? You say, Heitman, I've been faithful to my wife, my husband for 75 years, whatever. But I, I, I would have a hard time believing you that in those 75 years of marriage, you never had one lustful thought toward another person. Some people say and they swear they've never stolen anything. Well, all right, but that's probably not true. All of us at some level, at some time in our life, have taken something that's not ours, whether we knew it or not. These symptoms are evident in your life, aren't they? I think one reason why I had a hard time sleeping last night, I had the worst night of sleep I have had in years. And, and, I, and I think it's because I, I felt so much conviction over this text. And I hope you are feeling that too. So these symptoms... They prove what Jesus said. They prove his diagnosis is true, that our hearts are wicked. That is our greatest problem. Okay. Have I convinced you? Do you get it? Are we on the same page? I think we are. So now the appropriate question to ask is now what? You know, when I laid in the hospital bed three years ago and the doc came in with very little bedside manner and said, sure enough, you have Hodgkin's lymphoma. You know what my immediate question was? Okay, what's the treatment? When can we begin treatments? What's the prognosis? So I hope you, brothers and sisters, if you haven't felt this before or in a long time, you see this text 
and you're like, okay, I get it. I'm sick. I have these sins in my heart and they don't go away. How can I be cured of this wicked heart? How can I seek treatment? What's the medicine? Where can I find intervention? I hope that's what you're asking. And as we know, there is a cure. There is a cure that will help us get rid of this disease. The cure is heart surgery. The cure is a heart transplant. We all need a new heart. We cannot enter heaven with the foul, wicked heart we were born with. John 3, verse 3 says, unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. To enter into the throne room of God, we need a clean heart, a pure heart, a heart that loves him truly, a heart that loves his word, a heart that loves his people, a heart that compels you to live for the glory of God alone. Let me conclude by saying, everything that was spoken up to this point is necessary to help you feel the need for Jesus. If you don't understand how bad you are, you will not see how good Jesus truly is. If you don't understand what you really deserve, you will never understand the depth. You won't even begin to understand what the love of God truly is and what the gospel is and what God's will is for you. We all need a heart that displays fruits of the Spirit rather than the symptoms of a wicked heart. How do we obtain this new heart? How? What must I do to be saved? Believe. Believe in Jesus. Repent from sin. Trust in his vicarious sacrifice on the cross. In other words, truly believe in your heart that Jesus took the punishment you deserve. Believe that his resurrection vindicated his sacrifice and was acceptable to God the Father. Faith alone in the finished work of Christ. If you believe that, then you have a new heart. Because only somebody with a new heart can make that profession of faith. This is the work of God. If you're here today and you, and you don't know or you're unsure that you have a new heart, before the service is over, cry out to God. Ask him to save you. Whoever calls upon the Lord will be saved. Ask him to give you a new heart. Ask him to cure your greatest problem. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this text that's so clear that reveals to us our greatest problem, that reveals to us that we're sick. 
not physically, not socially, not psychologically, but spiritually. May we all come to you by faith alone, receive the gift of salvation, May and may that be enough. May that be sufficient for us to live our life, knowing that we have been saved from hell, knowing that you have given us a new heart freely. May that be sufficient for us, Lord. May this text that reveals a hard truth remind us of how wonderful it is to know you. That for those who believe in this room, we've been cured. And we can enter into your presence. And we long for that day, Lord. Come, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.